0: Welcome to the Hills. I know many of you are watching online, literally across the city, the state, the country, and the world. And many of you are in person, South Lake Campus, West Fort Worth Campus, North Richmond Hills Campus. We're finishing a series we've called Delivered. We're looking at the story of the Exodus to understand how God wants all of us to walk in freedom. And we're going to wrap that up in just a moment, but I'm going to do something I hardly ever do. I hardly ever take advantage of this platform for personal or family business, and I'm making an exception today. So I want to show you a picture. Uh, That is my wife and I at our son's wedding three weeks ago, but that's not why I'm showing you that picture. I am showing you that picture because today is our 40th wedding anniversary. And that is something to celebrate. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it because it needs to be said. It's never been said, and it needs to be said. For 32 years, you have had the greatest uh, preacher's wife of any church in America. She has not only honored me, she has honored you by the way she has lived with grace and dignity, and she's represented you well. I call her sometimes Floth, First Lady of the Hills. She doesn't like that, but I just want you to know, and I know that you already do, You have been blessed immensely, as have I. We are leaving later today, and we are going on a trip to celebrate our anniversary. We are going to a beach. I'm not going to tell you where. I have two requests. Number one, pray for us. And number two, don't call. (laughs) Now, isn't it true that we all have certain moments in our lives as families, as citizens of a nation, as members of an organization or a sports team, that we just want to remember. We remember the birth of a nation. We remember a significant moment in the history of our family. We are today on June the 6th remembering that 77 years ago, incredibly brave and courageous men stormed the beaches of Normandy. So we do this, but can you think of a single event that people remember today with great passion that goes back further than the Passover think about it several weeks ago Jewish people around the world intentionally took time at a meal to remember a moment that happened several millennia ago the night that God finally delivered their ancestors from Egyptian bondage It was the most wonderful of nights. It was the most horrible of nights. And it pointed to the most wonderful and horrible event in history. We've been saying throughout this series that the greatest story in the Old Testament is the lens through which we understand the greatest story of all. The ultimate deliverer, Jesus Christ. So up to this point in the narrative, God has been saying to Pharaoh, judgment after judgment, let my people go. He's been answering Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord? And he's given Pharaoh nine opportunities to correctly answer it. But when God delivered the last judgment, there was no more debate. We're going to start reading in chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. So down in verse 4, Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go through Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill." and all the firstborn of the cattle as well, there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt. Worse than there has ever been or will ever be again. The world had never experienced a kind of judgment like God was about to sin. And the difference this time is that in the first nine plagues, the people of Israel do nothing. They simply watch what God is up to. But for the tenth plague, they are asked to engage. Specifically, Moses says to all the people, go get a lamb from your flock. Not any lamb. It's got to be a lamb without any noticeable blemish. In your eyes, it has to be a perfect lamb and kill it. And take the blood of that lamb, and you put it on the doorpost of every home where your family stays. And then in chapter 12, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood I will pass over you. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord a lasting ordinance. So it was God himself who said, "I don't want you to ever forget this day. For generations you are to repeat the story of what's going to happen on this night." Now in verse 24, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as He promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when He struck down the Egyptians. And then the people bowed down and worshiped the Israelites, did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, and at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Now remember, this story is foreshadowing a bigger story and there are two huge takeaways from this story and the first is simply God will deliver judgment you see the Bible doesn't endorse or affirm a view of history like many of the world religions many of the world religions have a cyclical view of history that life is kind of a big circle, and you just get on the circle, and everything just keeps repeating yourself. But the Bible affirms a linear view of history. In other words, history is moving deliberately and purposely toward an appointed end. History is headed somewhere. And what is that somewhere? Hebrews 9, 27, people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. You need to understand, every sermon I write, I need to remember this. I'm preaching to people who are going to die. And after that, they face judgment. Paul said to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And and I remember that verse, and I come under great conviction when I read that verse, that part of my responsibility before God is to prepare you in view of His coming and in view of the fact that He's going to judge the living and the dead to be prepared. And by the way, nobody in the Bible talks more about judgment than Jesus. And when you read many of His parables, it is clear That when he comes back, there is going to be a big separating. Good fish and bad fish, sheep and goats, wheat and tares. And because the Lord is a God of justice, evil is not going to get away with anything on that day. No sin will go unjudged. The God will deliver judgment. That's the first big takeaway, but here's the second where we're going to spend most of our time. God will deliver a way to be delivered from judgment. It's important to notice that the same judgment that fell on the Egyptians would have fallen on the Israelites if they rejected the word of the Lord. Because God's judgment is impartial. It is unbiased. God doesn't play favorites. Every single person is under the power of sin no single person can free themselves from this power but god has made a way for anyone to be delivered from judgment and that way is a perfect lamb and so you understand with all of this history and all the times that they had had this meal once a year it was a big deal When John is out in the country and everyone's coming to hear him preach and Jesus starts walking up and John says in uh, chapter one, verse 29, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because again, the Exodus story is actually helping us to understand a bigger story. That once again, God is in conflict with an evil ruler who has People as captives, and they cannot, in their power, break free of his dominion. Everything we've been studying is pointing to Jesus, who is the ultimate deliverer. That's why I disagree. I've read some preaching textbooks and many courses where they'll say, now don't be one of those preachers that just tags Jesus onto everything. If you're reading the Old Testament, just let the narrative preach for itself, and don't be adding Jesus. I'll tell you why I don't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus couldn't talk about what we call the Old Testament without talking about himself. In John chapter 5, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life, now watch, and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. And then just a few verses later to the same crowd, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What scriptures is he talking about? We would call it the Old Testament. And Jesus said, this story is pointing to me. That the God who will deliver judgment has delivered a way to be delivered from judgment. God has provided a perfect lamb. You understand, I have the greatest calling in the world. I have the greatest privilege in the world. I have the greatest responsibility in the world. To make it clear to you that God has delivered a way to be delivered from judgment. So let's go a little deeper. What kind of way has God delivered? Well, first, it's an under the blood way. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Please notice, on that night, the issue wasn't race. God didn't say, when I see an Israelite. The issue wasn't position. The issue wasn't ancestry. The issue wasn't even morals. When I see a good person, the issue that night was blood. And it still is. In 1 Peter, the apostle says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but it with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect and the apostle Paul adds these words in Romans 3 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. When I was a boy at the little church I grew up in, sometimes we would have our backup song leader lead. His name was Joe Robinson. The elders didn't like to use Joe because if they did, he was always going to sing one song. There's power in the blood. And Joe was enthusiastic. He would sing, there's power, there's power, power in the blood. And everybody was afraid we were going charismatic. I loved it because Joe believed it. There's nothing like the blood of Jesus. Let me illustrate this way. When I was in high school, I learned to type. I took a typing class, and nobody under 40 is going to understand what I'm about to say. I used a machine called a typewriter. Here's what it did. You would push down a button, and a lever would come up, and it would hit an ink ribbon, and make an indention into a piece of paper. Now, I can't remember if it was letters or hieroglyphics because it was a long time ago. <laughs> but if you made a mistake, and I did, there was none of this backspace nonsense. Remember what we had to do? Some of you remember something called liquid paper. And we would get this little bottle and pull that sheet of paper, and we would put this little kind of pasty substance over our mistake and let it dry And then we'd put the paper back in, and we'd type over it. Now, here's the thing. I don't care how hard you tried to make it look good. If you looked held up that paper, you could see the scab. It was right there. You had made a mistake. Now, these young people today, they hit this little thing called delete. And it's just gone. Now, what is the blood of Jesus like? The reason some of you are afraid of the day of judgment is because you think it's like whiteout liquid paper. No. When you stand before God covered in the blood of Jesus, it is delete. There is simply no record you ever made a mistake. Thank you for clapping. You better be clapping at West Fort Worth and South Lake. I'm going to get a report. There is power in the blood of Jesus. But did you notice, just like in the 10th plague, Paul said, it must be received by faith. You have to apply the blood. There's nothing in the Bible about you're going to be saved by sincerity. Did you see recently that the Justice Department arrested a father and three sons in Florida? They got word of some issues when some people kept showing up in the hospital sick. These people, these men, were selling a cure for COVID and cancer. It was bleach. And they didn't call it bleach. They even branded themselves as a church ministry to get people to be even more duped into their scheme. See, I I don't care how sincere you are. I don't care who's telling you what it is. You drink bleach, you're going to get sick. And I don't care how sincere you are or who's telling you. On the day of judgment, identity outside of christ will be fatal i implore you come under the blood apply the blood how do i do that if you'd have asked any christian in the early days of the church they would have said well get baptized not because water washes away sin no But they would have said, well, when you're baptized, Romans 6, you come into union with the death of Christ where he shed his blood. In uh, Galatians 3, when you're baptized, you're clothed with Christ. Colossians 2, when you're baptized, you were expressing your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let me be clear again. Water doesn't wash away a single sin. But what you do when you're baptized is you were declaring publicly, I am putting my full trust in the blood of Jesus. So I'm going to tell you, if you have not been baptized at any of our campuses in person, today's the day. If you're watching online, you put in that chat room right now. Somebody call me and talk to me about getting baptized. Jesus' blood can erase every sin. And it can embrace every sinner. That's the second thing about the way God's made. It is an open to all way. Did you know that when the Hebrews left Egypt... Not everyone in the crowd was a Hebrew. It says in Exodus 12, the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth and there were about 600,000 men in foot besides women and children. Notice many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. Well, who were those people? Some translations just say many other people besides Israelites and some translations say a mixed multitude. Who left Egypt? Answer, anybody who had applied the blood. Who did Jesus come to deliver? Whoever. It's my favorite word in the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus told the woman at the well, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. He told the crowd in John 6, whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. He told Martha after the death of her brother, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. This is an open to all way. It's not about your race. It's not about your ancestry. It's not about your morals. It's whoever comes under the blood. So um, when I was a kid, in school we learned about the solar system, and we had nine planets that orbited the sun. Did you see a few years ago, some scientists in Prague downgraded the ninth planet, Pluto, to an asteroid. It's no longer a planet. It's asteroid number 134340. Now imagine you're Pluto. (laughs) You are minding your own business. Just orbited the sun and you get an email. I'm sorry, you are no longer a planet. You can't come to science fair anymore and be on the mobile. (laughs) Have you ever felt Plutoed? I bet we all have, and here's why. This world does not operate on the whoever principle. This world operates on the appearance and performance principle. We care about, are you the prettiest, and do you have the most or have you done the most? The kingdom of God doesn't operate on that principle. Jesus came for the uns, the unappreciated, the unnoticed, the uninvited, the unwanted. Now, I'm not denying that the message of the gospel is exclusive, and it does. In the, uh, Peter said, there's only one name under heaven by which you can be saved. John said, the one that has the Son has life. Who doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. Paul said, there's only one mediator between God and men. The Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the message of the first church was very exclusive. Jesus was the way. Here's the thing. That's not what they were criticized for. (laughs) The early church was criticized for being too inclusive. The first Christians would accept anybody. Anybody that would accept Jesus. Race doesn't matter. Gender doesn't matter. Past doesn't matter. Bondage doesn't matter. What the first century could not understand was this collection of people that would gather. And they'd never seen people this different together. Why? Because they all had the same deliverer. Every church should be a mixed multitude. Every church should give a witness to the world that what brings us together is our common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not everybody will escape a judgment, but everyone can. But all that are delivered from judgment will first have to be delivered from pride. Pride. Because the way that God has made for us to be delivered from judgment is an only by God way. So, as the pandemic is lessening in impact, many things are changing and people are traveling more. And so that means, for example, I'm starting to get invited now to to go and speak. And over a year, I did it. I got a call recently and they said, would you come and keynote our conference? Now, Just to be honest, the first person we called was because they were the greatest theologian we know. He said no. The next person we called was the most articulate speaker we know. He said no. So we said, we're just going to find the best looking preacher we can find. He said no. So we're asking you. And to be honest... I just didn't have the heart to tell them no four times in a row. (laughs) Okay, that's a dumb joke. But here's the point. Religion has a very bad habit of making people proud that shouldn't be. Religion has this capacity to produce a, you know, aren't we so much better than them? Spirit. Now, listen. No Hebrew who left Egypt that night did so boastfully. They did so joyfully, but not boastfully. God explained his deliverance in Exodus 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. And then you'll know that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Deliverance is an I will mission and the I is God. Israel was not delivered because Pharaoh had a sudden burst of compassion. Israel wasn't delivered because Moses had such skill in the art of diplomacy. Israel was delivered by the gracious hand of God. And so are we. Paul made it clear in Ephesians 2, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. One of the things that separates Christianity from every other world religion is simply this. Christianity preaches the impossibility of self-salvation. Christianity will never give you a list of rules and say, if you'll just try harder and do better, you can be saved. I think I've shared before that I began to notice several years ago that I was suffering some hearing loss, and I didn't want to admit it. It was a pride thing. And also, I learned by checking, hearing aids are expensive. And my wife, who got tired of shouting at me, said, honey, go get the hearing aids. I don't care what they cost. It will be a gift for me. But here's the thing. To receive the gift, I had to admit my weakness. And you do too. When you recount the story of your deliverance, make sure there are no co-stars. As Paul put it in Galatians 6, may I never boast except... In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am not delivered by my perfect obedience. I am not delivered by my perfect theology. I am delivered because I'm clothed in the righteousness of a perfect lamb. And this lamb didn't come just so we could get out of Egypt. Do not reduce the beauty of Christianity. To simply a get out of hell free card. God's deliverance is never just from. God's deliverance is always to. So, 40 years ago, I said, I do. And on that day, I was delivered. I was delivered from living in a house with a bunch of smelly dudes. I was delivered from having to eat my own cooking. I was delivered from having to do my taxes. I married a CPA, and for 40 years, I've never done my taxes. It is awesome. (laughs) And as good as all that is, that's not why I got married. I got married to be with Jamie. Why does God deliver? Just so you won't be where you were, because where you were was bad? God delivers so that you can be with Him. God will deliver from judgment to deliver to Himself. Do you remember what He said to Moses? Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and when you bring them out, bring them to the mountain so you can worship me. And so these last number of weeks, Taylor and I have talked about things that we can be delivered from. We can be delivered from pride, and we can be delivered from fear, and we can be delivered from disappointment, and we can be delivered from inadequacy. And there's so many ways God wants you to walk in freedom. You can be delivered from addiction, and you can be delivered from bias, and you can be delivered from worry, and all of that's good. But why does God want you to walk in freedom? So that you can pursue greater intimacy with Him. God wasn't ultimately bringing them out of Egypt to take them to Canaan. He was bringing them out of Egypt to bring them to himself. That our hope is not a place. Our hope and our freedom is a person. So I enjoyed this week seeing this post on social media. It's a press statement from the uh, atheist in Kenya society it reads this evening regretfully the secretary of the atheist in kenya society mr seth mahiga me he's made the decision to resign from his position as secretary of the society seth's reason for resigning is that he has found jesus christ no longer interested in promoting atheism in kenya we wish seth all the best in his newfound relationship with jesus christ and then he goes on to say send in your resume if you'd like to be the new secretary of the atheist society in kenya And I love the honesty. Seth didn't find a principle or a way of life or even a new community. Seth found a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus came the first time not to judge. He came to save. He's coming again. And when He comes again, the ultimate exodus will take place and my word and my challenge to you be prepared to be finally fully completely delivered let's pray so i do pray god I pray on every single campus today and online as well that this will be the day that someone decides, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I want to publicly declare that His blood can cleanse me of every sin. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Let us never, God, lose the wonder and the joy of our salvation and may we live in such a way that it is clear to all who watch us that we believe in the return of Jesus we believe he will judge the living and the dead and with all of our hearts we believe that because we are under the blood that is a day we can anticipate with great joy Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.